This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. This for the title in Barcelona for the Austrian. He serves out wide, the return does come back to his forehand, he goes into the backhand wing, he's on the approach and now with the forehand volley puts it away to claim the title. A great win at the end of a great week for Dominic team. What a way to follow up yesterday's stunning success against Nadal. A nice embrace from the two, Medvedev acknowledging the quality of the Austrian that came through. He didn't start so well, but boy, did he finish in absolute style and brilliant fashion. And he underlines again his great credentials on the clay to do even greater things in the future, no doubt. Maybe the very near future. He's taken this and taken it right away from the Russian. 6-4, 6-love. Indeed, an outstanding performance from Dominic Team, a really richly deserved title for the Austrian. Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Barry Milnes here alongside Miles McLagan to uh, look back on Dominic's achievement and indeed the whole of the week at this ATP 500 event. 6-4-6 love, Miles, but considering the way he started, the way Medvedev started, the better, what a turnaround that was. It really was. It was. Uh, it was interesting to, to watch, and we thought Medvedev would, would throw a different proposition at him, and it certainly looked like that in the first three games. But team quickly adjusting, using the, the slice backhand, and some beautiful touches. We've seen that all week from him, and some great passing shots. And well, Dominic team not only will be delighted with winning the title, but of course the way he played today. He did, and again he did it in straight sets. He's done that all week, and of course a, a huge scalp in beating Nadal in. In the semi-finals to get the, to the final itself but I just like the way today that he, he he came out there and despite you know the slightly stuttering start as we've mentioned that he just kept his poise he now is a, such an assured player and a more consistent player with more dimensions about him than he, he perhaps had at first when he came out all guns blazing. Well, that that was was obvious, not not just today, but in some of his previous matches, and of course that 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 match uh, in the semi-final with Nadal. But absolutely, the subtleties of the game, the ability to 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 change the pace, to change the height, to drag his his, his opponent forward, uh, and then turn on the power, and then coming forward himself with some beautiful touches. And then the serve. He's serving some, a very good first serve percentage, mixing that up with some kicks, some slice. But still, he's got such a fast arm. Even when he takes a bit of pace off to, to, to try and land the first serve, add a little bit of spin, it's still a heavy blow. He's, uh, I think he's done a, a lot of good for himself going forward in this clay court season, not only for his own confidence, but the way the other players will, will see him. Medvedev has a lot of tricks up his sleeve, does it different ways at times, but it clearly was taken away from him. He barely you know, scored points in that, that last set, but the Russian certainly can look back on the week with head held high. Certainly can, yeah. So, so, some, some really great tennis. The final of a 500 is, is a big deal, particularly this one, this event. It's got so much history uh, into who the, the winners, the, the club as well. But perhaps just a, a hurdle too far. He's played a lot of tennis this year, and team just looked like an immovable obstacle. And sometimes when there's no light at the end of the tunnel, there's, you can't see your way through. Because Medvedev did throw a few different things at team. He started trying to come forward. Uh, he started 
started playing with slice as well, but there just seemed to be no way around, and that can be very draining at times. But all in all, Daniel Medvedev, his tennis and mind, he looks to be in a great place, and I think there's plenty more success for him throughout the rest of this year. It's a rare thing when Rafael Nadal goes into the month of May without a title to his name in the season so far. But uh, where would you put him now after his loss to Fanini in Monte Carlo and then the loss to team in the semi-finals in Barcelona? Yeah, that is a, a little surprising and uh, probably have to look back a long way for, for, for that. But uh, certainly on, on the up. He, he played a couple matches that he would have gained some confidence from th this week. His second uh, match against David Ferrer was a, was a really entertaining and emotional encounter as well. And, and Ferrer is really picking his game up with sort of us watching going, does he really want to want to retire? But Nadal was, was able to, you know, just had too many options for him and then was pushed hard in, uh, in his quarterfinal by Jan Leonard Struff, uh, you know, a, a big German who, who can really... Uh, takes on the ball and, and pushed, uh, pushed Nadal and he was, uh, he was stretched there and even the match against team I think Nadal said afterwards I, I played well it does happen when the number five player in the world Dominic team turns it on and everything works out for him you can lose even if you're Rafael Nadal and that's what happened but I think he's walking away with us uh, from this week feeling pretty good about his game thinking you know I'm, I, I now I can see myself picking up titles in, in, in the rest of the clay court season a lovely thing before the final was the, uh, the little presentation to David Ferrer, who had his parents there, his wife, his young son, and all those who've loved and admired him, you know, the teams close by, uh, applauding him for his efforts. Uh, your thoughts on, on Ferrer, who has one more tournament left, of course, in Madrid, but has played his last time in Barcelona? Just utter admiration. I've, I've really admired him for a long time, his, his, his work ethic, uh, his competitive nature, but also probably more than anything, the, the way he's conducted himself. I mean, he's never, you, you never hear a story of him uh, being disrespectful to anybody, to, to being rude to umpires or line judges. He, although he's put himself on the line, he's, he's, he's really, you know, been a man and, uh, and conducted himself with, with the, you know, the utmost integrity. And I think, uh, you know, we'll hear all sorts of plaudits from his peers and, and we'll, we'll see that they hold him in, in the highest regard. But it was, it was quite an emotional ceremony and we saw it in, in Acapulco as well. And all those nice things, he's, he's got to go through it all one more time. But I suppose that's no bad thing. And just remind us of uh, what you once did against him. <laughs> well, we can bring that one. Yeah, I trained down in Valencia for a while, and we had a. Um, I was fortunate enough to practice with him. He was off to Monte Carlo. I was off to somewhere far less glamorous. But we play, played a practice set in which I think he smashed two or three of his rackets. His coach wasn't too. too his coach at that time was Javi Pilez. They had a long-term relationship, and uh, he was, I think, uh, well, pretty miffed that he'd smashed the rackets, but also because Javi used to sort of doctor them and change the grip, so he had a lot more work to do. But uh, that's my little claim to fame. He smashed the rackets because you had... Well, I've... Absolutely, I'd won that. Uh, I'd won a practice set 6-1 against them. So. You're so modest, but what an achievement. Well done, Miles. And we'll have more from you later in the podcast. As we've been mentioning, David Ferrer is about to come to the end of his career. And another special guest who joined us on ATP Tennis Radio earlier in the week was keen to say a few words in his praise. Hi, he's Tony Nadal. And uh, I want to say some words for David Ferrer. David Ferrer was always a, speci a special guy for me. I was a good friend of him. I don't like to play against because he was too good. And I, know, I remember how difficult was 
normally the matches that uh, Rafael has doing against uh, David, but always uh, good. I wanted the, when Rafael cannot win that uh, the winner was David Ferrer. Then I know that is the last year for David. I hope that uh, in his new life he's so happy than he was in in the tennis. And uh, I want to say David was a special player. He was really good and was the most important thing was a a really, a really good person and uh, for me for him all the best thanks to tony nadal there one man already retired is nicolas almagro and he took to the court in barcelona this week to receive a special trophy in his honor richard connolly managed to speak to him and started by asking him to think back to when he first picked up a racket was a dream <laughs> was uh, fantastic that that image that image in my on my head is is wonderful because i was with my two brothers with my two old brothers and they they bought me the my first racket and was was fantastic uh, was the beginning of of everything and and well uh i think i have a amazing life with uh i was very very happy doing doing that the things that i love and well, now it's a, it's a new life, a new experience. I need to rebind everything and I'm ready for that. We'll see what happens. How big an influence were those two older brothers? Well, for me, my two older brothers was uh, one of the two most important person of my, of my life. They are both teacher, but well, I need, uh, I need a lot of things to learn from, from, from them. Uh, they, love, they love tennis, but amateur. They was playing a little bit low level, not 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 like like my level, but well, uh, they are one of the two most important pensions with my with my parents and and I love them and I think it's all the memories that I have from from that era. It was was great. When did you first think I'm good enough? I I might be well, a professional. Uh, last Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> when when everything finished uh, is when when I say well man you had a really good career uh, because our life is is too fast is it's like this and you need to be ready every week for a for a new battle new new fight and if you are not focused the the year done and you need to be you need to be ready for everything every week every day every second and this is the professional tennis life you got excellent results on all surfaces, but the clay, obviously, you love in particular. <laughs> what is it about the feel of the clay that you like? Well, I don't know. It's like a romance with the, with the clay. I think I was born on clay, and I think this is the reason, because I, don't, I can't find another, another reason, because I serve quite good. I hit with a lot of, with a lot of power. I play aggressive. I don't know why I didn't, I didn't play good in the in the other two phases I did a good results but not similar than than clay I played very very comfortable uh, on that surface I won 13 titles 10 more finals one doubles title two and well was I don't know the reason but it's my is my love the clay core is my love I note that when you won your first title on tour in Valencia 
You beat Juan Carlos Ferrero, Marat Safin, and then Gilles Simon in the final. So and you did things the hard way, didn't and you? And three more matches from the quali. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, was that special? Yesterday night, I was I was speaking with my family about that, and every day I came back to my to my home, two hours driving, because no, oh, I'm going to lose. Today I'm going to lose. No, today one more day. Today I'm going to lose. No, today I'm going to lose. And the final, I did the same. I, I went back to, to my to my house and I, I sleep with my fathers and. Okay, today's the day. I cannot lose. <laughs> and I and I won my first title and was was amazing because all my family, all my friends was there and was was great. When did that change, that mentality? Did you start going to events thinking, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna win? Yeah. Well the day of the final everything changed. When you won your first your first title, the you won more. And this is the reason that your your mind can do a click. And, and everything everything changed because uh, it's the it's the beginning of the of the of the titles and when you win the first one you you have the respect of the of the opponents you have uh, well you know the way you know the things that you need to do to to win to win tournaments and everything and that's I think that's the key when when you can you can believe that you can do it. Everything is, is easier. You had the respect, I think, of every opponent, but it wasn't possible to live to, to win every week because you played in such a wonderful era with some of the greats of tennis. I mean, do you feel lucky to have played at such a time? Well, I'm the luckiest people in the world because uh, I can I can play against Rafa, against Roger, uh, Andy, Novak, Juan Martin, David was was amazing if you can imagine well it's the it's the era to 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 to, to play and to love to love the game i think um uh, they are the most with joe McEnroe and beyond Borg and few more but that that uh, era was was amazing for for the tennis and was and was amazing for the sport or is amazing for the sport because it's a present can I ask you about Rafa? Because you made you made three quarterfinals at Roland Garros, which must have been tremendously special. But he was there every time. Well, the first one was um, strange because he was like a hurricane. He he beat he beat all the players really really easy. He beat I remember the uh, Monaco too easy in the 16s. I beat me. Too easy in quarters. In the final, beat Roger one six one six zero six three something like that, and was. And I said in that moment, he's going to be sixty five and he's going to win Roland Garros. And well, it's still there. Could, could happen. <laughs> could happen. Could happen. We'll see. But but well, Rafa is. Uh, I think is the best player on clay courts to face in the history. And I'm proud to to beat one here in in Barcelona, but I'm proud to to play three quarterfinals against him in in Roland Garros. Yeah, that win in Barcelona. What what does that mean to you? Well, I think it was the most important the most important victory of my career because he, he was number one in the world. He was winning everything on clay, and he was beating me too easy, six two or six three in the first set. Uh, I won the second set really tight in the 7-6 and in the third set 
I was break up and 5-4 and, and I said for the match and I start to think, oh man, uh, take care because you can be the number one. And I didn't play my best game, but I closed my eyes and I hit full power all the time and, and that's it. And, and finally I can, I can beat him. It was, was amazing because uh, I remember that victory like a, like a victory of the tournament, like a, I win a tournament, but was tough because I lost in the semi-final, but, but that moment in my memory is, is, is amazing. Was there a secret, a strategy that, that you developed, that you worked out oh. over time? Well, close your eyes and hit full power and to the lines all the time <laughs> and wait if, if he doesn't play too good. <laughs> Can I ask you about another one of your um, contemporaries, David Ferrer? You worked out how to beat him in the end, didn't you? What was so difficult about playing him though? Why was he so good? He's a really, really consistent player. He's really really difficult to play against him because all the time you need to be, you need to be focused, you need to be 100%, 100% focus on, on your game. He's going to push uh, all the time to, to, to try to find your mistake. And well, he's a really, really good player. His fitness is, is amazing. And well, I think it was 13-1, something like that, or 14-1. Uh, many matches was really close. Other ones was too easy for him. But at the end of, of my career in, in Argentina, uh, I find the key to, to, to beat him and well, nobody beat me 15 times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned for him fitness is one of the keys. Yeah. How much did injuries hold you back? Well, I think it's part of the game. It, I don't want to think that the injuries is a bad thing or something like that. The, the injuries give me the most important the most important thing that I have is my is my son right now with my the, with my wife, because I have time to to spend to spend with them. I I can stay in at home, uh, spending a lot of time with them, and and it's amazing because our life is traveling all the time. But uh, sometimes for the professional life is is tough because I did four surgeries last year on my left knee and was quite good. Because I was, I was to, 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 to came back too, too early. Uh, the knee was not 100% and was the problem. But, well, I need to took the decision. I, I took the wrong one. But, well, this is the life. It is, you need to take the decision. Uh, sometimes you can, you can mistake, sometimes not. And in, in this case, that's happened and nothing, I can do nothing more. We remember the pictures of you suffering the knee injury at Roland Garros when Juan Martín del Potro, yeah. your opponent, showed great sympathy for you. Yeah. How, how do you look back on that? I mean, clearly it was extremely painful. Well, two weeks before, uh, everything started against uh, Nadal in Rome because I, I felt something, something wrong on my knee. Uh, but well, I retired of that game. I, I went home and I, I was speaking with my, with my doctor and everything and he said, OK, you can continue playing uh, and we'll see what happens in the future. The future was two weeks after in, in, in Roland Garros, but, but well, that moment was, was terrible because I couldn't, I couldn't walk, uh, I, feel, I felt a lot of pain. And well, it's the same, it's the life. It was, was ridiculous, but was, was great because every, everybody 
every, all the world can see how, how is our life, how personal is our relationship. And Juan Martin did an amazing job with me. He was passing a really, really bad moments before, and well, he stayed really close to me. And, and the only thing I can say to him is thanks to, to be really close to me. You don't seem like somebody who's going to take regrets away from their career. Is that right? Would you change anything? Well, maybe something. Maybe something, but the, everything that, that I did wrong, I learned from that. And that's the most important thing. I know that I broke many, some rackets, I did something wrong on court. But well, uh, right now, if I go my head back and I can change something, maybe I did it. I, I do it. But if I can, I prefer to, to be like I am and say, okay, if I did something wrong, okay, sorry, but I learn and I'm not going to do it anymore. I think it's, this is the life. You need to learn every day something new and, and that's what, what happened with, with me on court. When your son is old enough and he says, Dad, what type of player were you? Look at these guys you played against and you beat. What, what are you going to tell him? Well, I'm going to put some videos and he can, <laughs> he can things uh, whatever he wants. Yeah. I'm not going to, to tell nothing to him because I'm not the correct person. I want to, to give him my, the thing that uh, I think he needs to be a good person in, in, in the life and I will try to, to be the best father as, as I can. And if he wants to play tennis? I will, I will push him. But if, if not, I will, be, I will be together and I will push whatever. What's next? You're working at, <laughs> at La Manga, La Manga. as a director? Well, I'm like a director right now in, in La Manga Club. It's an amazing place with a really good weather, close to home, 40 minutes by car from there. And well, more than 30 cores um, with golf course, good spa, good hotels uh, and everything is... It's, it's amazing to be there and well, I invite you to, to go and we can, you, can, you can see and you can explore by yourself. And lastly, we're here in Barcelona and you're about to get a, a presentation on court as a thank you. Um, what, what will that be like for you? Well, it will be, will be amazing for sure because uh, I passed a really good moment here. I was top 10 here, I beat Nadal here. I met my wife here. <laughs> everything Tell us here, about that. yeah, everything in, in Barcelona is is was great, and it's going to be great in the future for sure. But uh, today is going to be a special day. It's a special day for for me, for my family, for all the person who can, who could be really close to me in my career, for my all coaches, uh, for all my friends, and for all the people who support me on my on my career. For the people who I did something wrong and they, they didn't support me, they are going to be happy too because they are not going to see me on court anymore. But, but well, uh, for, every, for everyone, for every, for every person here, need to be a special day and I'm very happy for, for that and I'm very happy to be here. Can you just tell me also about your final matches, which you decided were going to be at home in Murcia? Because... Uh, is the you need to took the decision really fast and well I I, I I went to my to my doctor to speak with him 
And I say, okay, doctor, tell me the truth. If I can be 100%, I, I have power to, to, to start one more time. If not, I prefer to stop. And he told me, Nico, it's better. I think it's better if you stop because if not, we need to, to, to do something heavy in your knee. And well, you are too young and we say, okay, that's it. I go to the, to the tournament, I spoke with them, I say, I'm not practicing, you need to know, I'm not ready to beat nobody, but I want to hit my last, like, my last shot here because all my family, all my friends, all, all, everyone was there and I want to do here. And if you want me here, just give me the welcome, I will try to do my best. And that's the reason, it was great. I want to say thank you to Murta Club Tennis to give me the welcome. And well, it was a, a special moment because everyone was there and I'm very happy for, for, for the week and for everything. And you just mentioned the last shot. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, the last shot. I'm looking for the for the ball. I'm still looking. <laughs> well, I will try to because I think many things during during my last week. I stay alone at home because my wife um, went to visit a, a friend in London. And well, that's me. That shot is me. I want to, to have fun, I want to enjoy, and I don't want to suffer, I didn't want to, to suffer a little bit more. And I said, okay, the, the way to don't suffer anymore is throwing the ball 30 minutes, 30 minutes out. And, and well, I, I hit it and it's still, it's still flying the ball from Murcia. <laughs> so did you leave with a tear or were you smiling when you left? Well, when I hit the, the, the shot, I was smiling, but when, when I hugged the, the people, and my, my wife, my family and everything, well, when, when I cry a little bit, it's because it's the, it's the way that I have to, to, to say thank you to them, for, to support me. Uh, it's the way to, to say, okay, the new life is here, we need to, to be together, we are going to cry because it's not going to be the same, but it's just 10 seconds because the new life is, is here and we, need, and we need to push and we need to be 100%. And they said, that's it, nothing else. It's, this is the life, this is the life. Sometimes you need to close a door to open a window and that's what, what happened with me. Nicholas Almagro speaking to Richard Connolly. And Richard also managed to spend some time with the future of Spanish tennis 21-year-old Jama Muna, who was also keen to pay tribute to David Ferrer. He's loved. In, in this in this country and also especially in Barcelona, uh, he never won here, but he had many chances and he did a, a very quite good tournaments during the years. And I think David Ferrer will will last as as David Ferrer, which is uh, a big name. What did you love in particular? Do you love still about about his game, about his personality? Uh, I always say that the the main important thing for him is that he's still a simple guy. Uh, he's a, a big star in the tennis tour, but he's still a simple guy. He's trying to advise the, the young boys and, and, as he said many times, uh, keep, keep you in, in the right way and, and keep your position uh, when you are 100 and when you are top 10. And this is what we can defend uh, David Ferrer most. Another former top tenner in Nicolas Almagro has said farewell recently and that's going to be part of this week too. What kind of a a player was he for you? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit like the, not the old generation, but the generation we had was the, the best of our country. And they are starting to, 
to just to finish your career. But it's something normal, I think. Uh, Nico was also a, a incredible player. He did many good things in tennis life, and the level he he played for long years was uh, extremely, extremely good. Uh, I don't know. It's it's emotional for us because I am just watching from down to up and and many, many, many things. Uh, I've been looking at that guys for years on TV and it's something special that I'm sharing the last moments of them uh, here in the tour and I'm really enjoying it. Do you have a sense of Spanish tennis kind of passing from one generation to the next and its responsibility being passed to you? Uh, no, no. Uh, I, I know I know that it's impossible to have one generation like we had during these years. Uh, there's so many players, not just Rafa. We can we can put Rafa in another bag, but uh, the other one, Ferrer, Feliciano, Verdasco, Bautista. It's many good players in the Spanish, and it's going to be almost impossible to to have the same level that, like them. But I'm just trying to focus on my career, and I think I'm doing well. And this is a, a thing I am happy with. Tell us about your connection with Barcelona then. It's played a big part in your life, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, I lived here for, for six years with the Spanish Federation and then also with this club. Uh, I'm in love with the people here. I'm feeling really, really excited to, to be playing as, as many years as I can uh, and hopefully it's going to be for a long. And this year especially uh, I am excited because it's my first year with a main draw entry by myself. Uh, a special thing, special moment for me and really excited for, for our coming matches, yeah. And a tournament with such huge history of Spanish players doing well. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, the most important one is Rafa. We all know that, but many, many Spanish players uh, won here already. I think it's a, it's a good one because of the surface, because of the people and, and because of the environment. I think it's a perfect one for everybody who likes tennis. Uh, you can breathe tennis everywhere in this club and, and this is important for us as a players also. You mentioned Rafa, and you've moved back to Mallorca to work at his academy. What is it like having a champion like that in your life? Special. Uh, I'm feeling really grateful to have uh, Rafa in my back. I think we have good connection as friends right now, uh, and I think we, we are sharing a lot of moments on and off court. And of course, it's special to have someone who, who can advise you in, in everything you, you're going to see the, the next few years playing tennis. How often do you speak? Almost every day, uh, we had we had breakfast today together in the hotel, and we try to to meet each other uh, as much as possible because it's it's special to have someone from Mallorca uh, on your side when you maybe are in Australia or anywhere in the world. Obviously, tennis-wise, there's there's so much that he can do, but mentally, how has he helped you? I don't know. He's just trying to to tell me that the work I put in, the hours I put in my game uh, is the, the more confident I will be in, on court and, and that's it. Uh, and to keep, to keep mind regular, to, to keep my, my game as I am doing and, and I think the, the big thing is gonna, gonna, gonna show in the next years. Uh, I mean, I'm playing good, I'm, I'm growing. Uh, I think I can do, I can do good things uh, in tennis tour and this is the way uh, I think she's just trying to to tell me that this is the way to keep fighting and to keep enjoying also the path His academy is clearly an attractive one for many people There are a couple here in Barcelona which bring tennis talent from around the world What do you think Spanish academies have to attract them so much to, to players? First of all the country I think Spain is a great country to live uh, We have many things, good food, good weather 
good people, uh, and I think this is an important one also for tennis. I mean, you can play tennis, but you are living your life also, and it's important to be to be safe and to be comfortable where you are living. Uh, and then I think we have a good professionals, good history also. Uh, many people coming from all the years with a, with a good rankings and tradition for tennis. And I think this is an important part of, of the Spanish academies. Uh, I mean, I am there in Mallorca. I think they have everything you need. But of course, we have another ones which are working very good. And of course, they have everything also. Now, if others in Spain are to join Muna amongst the professional ranks, then perhaps the most likely route is the academies that Jaume has been speaking about. And Richard Connolly managed to speak to top 20 star Karen Hachanov and coach Galo Blanco about the Four Slam Academy. And first of all, Angel Jimenez, who heads up the Sanchez Casal Academy. This began uh, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we, we think that it was something missing in the tennis. Many players, they were, this is the reason why, eh? many players, they were quitting to play tennis because they didn't have the chance to have a place where to do the studies and the tennis. They struggle in the daily routines. They went to the school, they have to take the transport to go to the tennis clubs. After the practice, many clubs, they didn't have the equipment for do a professional fitness work. They have to do to another gym and the competition far away. So it was almost impossible that a player could finish her dream because circumstances were very tough. So we thought in a place like that, if they have everything, they could play in the time, more years, so they will have more possibilities to make it. And that's why all everything begin. Tell us about some of the big name players that have come through this academy? We have, well, the most known is Andy Murray, also Igor Dimitrov, Svetlana Kuznetsova, Daniela Hantukova, and many other players that they were on top 100. So uh, we had used a system that I think has been the key for us to build up such a champions. So this system together with the services that the players need and the competition uh, makes possible to build up players and also to make this, those champions. Tell us about the, the heart of that system, the values that you have. The values are, the system is based on the footwork. Footwork is what it's important when you play tennis because when you receive the ball depends how you, your position is before the contact with the ball will make to be consistent and will make, if it's wrong, to do unforced errors. So when you do a good footwork, you are going to be consistent and you are going to also generate power into the ball, together with playing in the three areas of the court. This is what we want most, that a player knows and understands how to play in these three areas. So in the future, they have no limits to do it. How much does it help that you've got the star players have come through here, that you have their example to show to parents and the kids themselves? Important because through the stage here, the stay, and using the system, they were able to just reach the top. So that's a, this is a, the best representation we can have from our academy, our philosophy, our system, yes.
Why do you think there are so many good places in Spain, in Barcelona? What is the attraction particularly of this part of the world? I think we have first many clubs, many tennis clubs in Barcelona, in Catalonia. So since very beginning, they begin to play tennis. So there is a lot of players playing at young ages. Also the clay, it's a main factor because when you play on clay, even if you don't understand too good uh, what do you need to do in the three areas, the clay obliges you to be able to uh, develop a strategy. And a strategy is one of the most important in tennis. So altogether, the level gives the level to the new players. And there is a lot of competition also uh, to be played every week, every weekend. That's why there is a very good level of players here in this part. And the attraction is not just for people in Spain. The attraction is for young players from around Europe, around the world. Why do you think they feel that there's such a, such a boost to their careers can be had in Spain? I think Spain is one of the countries that has better reputation, talking about uh, building up players. And if you see the ranking in the ATP and WTA, you see always 10, 12 players in the top 100. This is a huge amount of players talking about a nation that has not that many license. So uh, this is why the players from other countries are interested in what we do and the way we work here in, in, in our nation. So that's why one of the reasons that they want to come here we are hard workers, we base on the footwork, so they have to really sweat every day to, to, to have the level. What are you most proud of about this place? This place, I think this is a place where, since the beginning, what we, our idea of bringing what I just mentioned before and our values that we had in our tennis lives, uh, we can see that now the players they are just following that. For us, this is very important. And if you were to sell this club, this, this academy, to people watching as quickly as you could, what would you say? Most important is that they, there is a place here in our academy, so when they come, they can have the studies, school studies, and they are able to make a professional tennis program. This is for us very important, because, as I said before, Many of them, they have to decide between studies and tennis. And now is it possible to just play more years and decide later. And the values of our philosophy, the values that discipline, effort, attitude, that are always here in the daily routines. Well, Gallo, first of all, tell us when you started your academy and what its goals were at the time and what they are now. Well, we started uh, 2009, okay, and we were renting the courts in a club in San Cugat. It's a small village from Barcelona, like uh, 50 minutes away from here. And uh, our goal and our dream was to have uh, our own club, you know, where we could, let's say, open the door and close the door, whatever we want, without disturbing anybody. So in 2013, uh, we... We got the, the club in that, that you, got, you guys saw in, uh, in Gaba, and since then uh, we are working there. As you, as you could see, it was uh, nice, calm, and uh, 
place where you can just think about tennis. Tell us about the ATP players that you have helped to develop. Uh, since uh, 2009, I started working with uh, Marcel Granollers. Then 2010, I started working with uh, Milos Raonic, and it was a long relationship with Tennis Canada, where I was working for them for four years, you know. The base was here in Barcelona, so Milos was coming here. Then I was, I was working also with Philippe Pelibo. And uh, after that, it was uh, the time when Karen Kachanov and Andrew Rublev came to the academy. And uh, with uh, Karen working with me and Fernando working with Rublev, well, we, we had this uh, relationship uh, with the Russian players that we still have, you know, and it's, it's really nice to, to have them on, on the academy. I mean, it's always nice for the kids that they are um, growing up, you know, to see like they are practicing beside them, they are, they are uh, sharing the same gym, sharing the same courts, that they are not far away from them, you know, and uh, also as, as you could see, like they are really nice also, they are, they are easy guys, you know, and uh, it's always nice for the little kids that they are coming up. What do you think the attraction is then of Barcelona, of Spain in particular, because so many top players top young players from around the world seem to be basing themselves here. I mean, I guess the, the weather is a big, uh, big thing. OK, we have a lot of uh, blue skies like uh, like we have today. And uh, this is very important in tennis. I think uh, also we had very successful 20 years. The last 20 years we had so many Spanish players. I think the mentality that we have, it's it's always it's always good you know, to become a, a professional tennis player. And uh, there are a lot of uh, ex-tennis players that they are becoming coaches. So I think this is why I think we are, we are getting a lot of people from, from outside coming here to practice. Well, Karen, um, good to see you. Um, tell us about your experience of academy life here in Barcelona. Yeah, when I was uh, 17 years old, first time I came to Barcelona, to train in Four Slam Tennis Academy with my ex-coach, uh, right now ex-coach Gallo Blanco. So I was starting to train there at that age. Um, I spent there three years for sure. Yeah. What was the attraction of coming to Spain? Why Spain in particular? I think in general Spain is a good base for the for the kids and for the age. In my particular uh, way, it was more about coach. So at that time, I was looking for a coach, and uh, we found out Gallo was uh, most likely available, and uh, I wanted to start to, to train with him. But in general, I think it's good uh, for the kids, for discipline, you know, for um, fitness-wise. You know, you you spend a lot of hours on clay. Maybe in Russia you cannot do it, for example, you know, to spend all day on courts, especially on clay. That's a good base for, for the kids, I think. How important was your time there in your development as a player and as a person as well? You know, I'm really thankful for all the coaches who put uh, their own part in my career. I really feel that um, everybody uh, has some part, you know, of work that they put in, into, into my uh, career. So... That's why I'm really thankful for everybody, for all my ex-coaches, my coach right now. But I think um, overall um, it was good, good, uh, good base for me, good, uh, good time um, that, that I spent here. So like I said, three years I was training uh, in uh, Force Slam Tennis Academy. And uh, yeah, then I was looking for something more, you know, something uh, maybe to change, uh, more, um, 
more personal, you know, to try to find something which I feel more comfortable uh, to develop for, the, for my future game. And how special is the city of Barcelona for you in your life? For me, it's one of my favorite cities, honestly. Um, I think uh, one day I would like to, to come here and maybe spend more time, you know, when I have, uh, after career, I don't know, when I have my, my, my time. And um, yeah, I just love it. You know, I love the city. I love the people. So they're really friendly, really nice. So I think that that's helps and that's bringing a really good energy for you. Our thanks to Karen Hachanov, Galo Blanco and Angel Jimenez. Attention now turns to the ATP Masters event in Madrid, where a certain Swiss player will be back in action. Hawkeye on championship points says the ball was out. And it is game, set and championship for Roger Federer. A straight sex victory over John Isner for Masters title number 28, for Miami title number four. And he's done it in difficult circumstances, but he's beaten the defending champion, John Isner, who is clearly injured towards the back end. But it's all about Roger Federer now, who raises his arms aloft. He's the winner. He's the champion in Miami. 6-1, I am with... Isabel Musi, a Swiss reporter with, with RTS for, for radio and television, um, on the tour now for over a decade, lots of conversations I'm sure with, with Roger Federer <laughs> in that time, Isabel. Um, he's back on the clay this season, it's exciting for everyone and for you I'm sure. Oh yeah, it's exciting for everyone, exciting for everyone on the tour, um, exciting for us in Switzerland, especially in the French part, because, you know, we grow up with Roland Garros, as Stan Wawrinka always says, that's the tournament you see on TV, and it was a bit sad not to have Roger the last couple of years. Let's talk about his form, because 19 wins, 2 losses this season, 2 more titles. 37 years old he just continues to defy father time doesn't he yeah he does he's he's just amazing um i think really what's um is amazing about roger that he still has the patience he's like a young kid you know so um full of energy sort of full of patience for 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 the game and as long as he can carry that on i mean he's going to be competitive and uh, and he keeps working he keeps trying to improve to adapt his game to his age, adapt his game to you know to the surface, to the to the open end as well, because you have that new generation coming, and it, it reminds him when for him it's exciting because that, that reminds him when he was a young um, player playing Agassi or playing Sampras, playing his idols, and and now he sees those young guys being uh, impressed to play him, and he thinks it's a new challenge because uh, it's it's new blood in the game. The 100th title took a while to come along, but eventually it, it did. And then 101. He's always said that he doesn't look at the number, but it's another eight to match Jimmy Connors or even to, then to go past him. He says it doesn't matter. Do, do you believe him? I do. I mean, he, he's, he always likes, you know, to, to, to set records and he, he likes um, numbers, but I really think that for him it doesn't matter because everything now is a bonus because I mean what's happened with his knee and he knows that you know everything is is fragile and that uh, you never know how you're going to be in six months time and or in a year time so I think he takes everything um, as a bonus and um, I don't think he, he sees that far away you know eight titles um, it seems like nothing for Roger but it's still a lot I mean so um, no, I don't, I don't think that's one of his um, um, goals at the moment. 
Uh, it was interesting because we spoke at the roundtables here with all the, the his opponents, and they all think that it's not going to be a problem for Roger to adapt um, his game and, and, and to be competitive on clay again, even though he hasn't played um, for such a long time. And, and, and I believe that. I mean, he's, he's clever. He's, he's probably the player who can adapt to any surface faster than anyone else. And, uh, and he's played a lot on clay. You won't forget how to play on clay. And uh, especially in Madrid, it's a, it's, it's a fast court, so it's not like starting. It's probably why he didn't start in Monte Carlo, where it's slower, so he can adjust, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Then you don't know if he's going to you know, be able to beat uh, you know, the, 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 the best ones on that surface, but at least he should be competitive and, and not to take out. Well, he's done it before, hasn't he? He's a, he's a champion at Roland Garros. Um, remind our listeners why he hasn't been playing clay court tennis. Why, why has he said that he, he wasn't going to play for, 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 you know, until now? Well, three years ago, he came back here after his knee injury and he realized it was too early for his knee. It wasn't that great for his knee to play on, on clay. And, um, and then I think he, the next year... He won, um, then he, he, he was off for six months, and then the next year he, he, he came back, won um, the Australian Open, and he probably thought that his best chances was where to, to win Wimbledon, and he thought it was good to, to, to have a big break to play, uh, to get ready to play on grass, because as his age, I mean, he managed his timing even more carefully than he used to in the past, and he did that again, but last year he realized that it was too much of a break, you know, a, a too long time without competition. I think his his um, upset loss against uh, Kevin Anderson uh, in, in in Wimbledon probably made him realize that maybe he was lacking competition and matches. So this year he decided that it's no good to 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 you know to skip the whole clay season. And I think he's going to play two tournaments and he's going to enjoy them. And maybe maybe. It's the last time we'll see him on clay. You never know. Maybe he thinks next year I won't be doing clay again. And if he, if, if he eventually retires, maybe he's not thinking that way. That bit. And do you think Madrid, in many ways, was an easy choice for him because it's a bit quicker? Yeah, I think so. Um, well, the other thing as well, he, he didn't know whether he would go far to Miami. And he needed a, a break, you know, he needed because he needed a short holiday. And then he needed to do his... Um, his, his preparation with uh, Pierre Paganini and Madrid he's won Madrid before so I think for him it's it's a good tournament to play. What do you know about how he's preparing you mentioned he's with Pierre Paganini um, where is he and uh, you know what's he up to? Well he's, he's, he's practicing on, on clay in, in Switzerland somewhere near Zurich I suppose uh, with Pierre Paganini with Severin Luti and um, Jubicic has been there um, few days as well and so no he's going to be ready for Madrid no doubt about that you mentioned he's he's won tournaments on clay I was looking he's actually lost 15 finals on clay 11 to Rafa Nadal which shows doesn't it I mean if it wasn't for Nadal Federer might have been playing a lot more on clay oh exactly uh, 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 exactly that's uh, I think it's uh, I can't remember whether it was Chilich or Dominic Team, who said that the other day. I mean, it was Rafa his problem on clay, and without Rafa, he, he he would be the best player in the history on clay for sure. I mean, he's good on clay, that's for sure. But he had that that difficulty with um with Nadal. I mean, and and uh, it's it'll be interesting to see. Well, we don't know if he's going to play Nadal on clay again, but uh, I mean, 
he found solutions to play Nadal on hard courts and to beat Nadal on hard courts the last few years. So it'll be interesting to see how they do on, on, on clay, even though, I mean, Rafa would go being the favourite the favorite still. I was just going to ask, what are you expecting from Roger in Madrid? Oh, in Madrid, uh, I think he can win the tournament. I mean, uh, he, he's going to, I mean, he's not the only favourite, um, but he, he definitely can go and, and win the tournament. I don't think Roger um, started a tournament without thinking that he has a chance to win it. Um, Roland Garros might be a di- bit different story. I don't think he would be the favourite because, um, I mean, he would be among the favourites, but I mean, it's it, it, it's uh, five set matches. I mean, it's, uh, it long, it's longer matches. It'll, it'll be interesting to see physically how he copes with it. But in Madrid, no doubt he can win the tournament. Top Swiss journalist Isabel Moussi speaking there to Seb Lossier. And one of the things that she made, the, uh, the claim that if there weren't a Rafa, then Roger would have gone down already in his career as the greatest clay quarter we've ever seen. Discuss. <laughs> Quite possible. Yeah. We have winner at all f- four slams, of course, one of them being Roland Garros, finals against Rafa. Uh, he has beaten Rafa on the clay uh, back in Hamburg a long time ago, and then, of course, uh, in, in Madrid, where conditions were a little bit quicker. But, uh, you know, how many... We, we are in an era with greats, and how many of them might be saying that as well? But um, he's... He's been overshadowed because of the fact he's been so good on hard and grass, but absolutely a great clay quarter, Roger Federer. But, of course, you go back in time and, and you think of the likes of, you know, the Vilases, the Borgs in particular, uh, and Thomas Muster, another one, tremendous players on that surface. Um, but Federer, as you say, right up there with, with, with the chances perhaps to have shone even more had Nadal been out of the way. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think going back, the, the tours changed where there were almost two tours at that time. There was a clay court tour and, and, and the sort of American... Uh, hard court, faster surface tour, so it wasn't as mixed. And you know, Federer hasn't played that many clay court tournaments o- over the year, but he- he's certainly been a force, and the level of his play is, is, is certainly worthy. I mean, that 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 is an, an open argument, but it's certainly a, a valid one. And so, if we look towards Madrid, uh, how do you assess his chances? What do you think he would hope to gain from that this year, having not played on the clay the last couple of years? It is some time, although he, you know his preparation would always be be good, and and the conditions are quicker in Madrid. It makes it um, it, it swings it somewhat in Federer's favour because we know how well he he, he serves. Um, you do get free points, get a lot of tight matches, there, a lot of seven six sets because it's difficult to to break the serve. But the style of tennis he's playing right now really really suits it. The, the clay's a little drier because of the altitude, so you know taking the ball early, going back in behind his opponents are um, is effective, but. You know, there's going to be a few others who, who've got something to, to say about it. But also a few others perhaps with um, something to prove, if, if, he, if prove is the right word. Of course, Nadal will go there without a clay court title this year so far. Djokovic, what of him? Always going to be a threat. Never, never write him off when when he's at any event. And uh, I think with the the, the French Open uh, around the corner, building towards building towards that. Of course, he's looking to for the second time to hold all four Grand Slams at, at once. Uh, looking for his uh, focus to to sharpen a little bit. Again, it's not. It is a Madrid is a, is a big servers uh, playground, and Djokovic of course serves in, incredibly well. But that perhaps doesn't play completely in into his hands but yes certainly uh, looking to get his season going 
Well, that's it from us for this week. My thanks to Miles McLagan and all those we've spoken to this week. Be sure to check out atptour.com for updates on the 250 events coming up in Estoril and Munich. And we'll be back with live commentary from Madrid on Monday the 6th of May, where once again we'll be bringing you ball-by-ball commentary from first day to last. Enjoy the tennis. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review. Review.